We're now coming to questions to the Prime Minister. And we're going to start Munira Wilson. Question number one, Mr Speaker. Minister. Uh, Mr Speaker, this morning I had meetings with ministerial colleagues and others in addition to my duties in this House. I shall have further such meetings later today. Thank you, Mr Speaker. If ministers think it is acceptable for this government to not obey the law, how on earth can the Prime Minister expect the public at home to do so? Uh, Mr Speaker, we expect everybody in this country to obey the law. We now come to Sir Robert Neill. The Prime Minister will be aware that tomorrow the people of Gibraltar celebrate their National Day. And as I am the honour to be Chair of the All-Party Parliamentary Party Group for Gibraltar, will he join me in sending the people of Gibraltar uh, their very best wishes for that day when they celebrate their democratic decision and continuing wish to remain British and also pledge that Her, government, Her Majesty's Government will continue to give them every support, both in that matter and also in all the practical issues for which they may need our assistance going forward with the challenges which we jointly face as part of the British family. Uh, Mr Speaker, I congratulate my uh, honourable friend on the continual support he gives to the people of Gibraltar and to, to Gibraltar, and I can assure him that the sovereignty of Gibraltar is inviolable, and I join him, as I hope all members join him, in wishing the people of Gibraltar a very happy National Day on Thursday. We now come to the Leader of the Opposition, the first of six questions, Keir Starmer. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Uh, yesterday I spoke to a mum who lives in London. She's got a four-year-old daughter who had a very high temperature yesterday morning. She phoned 111 and was told to get a test. She tried to book and was told the nearest was Romford. That was nine o'clock in the morning. She explored that, but there were no tests there. She was then told Haywards Heath, halfway to Brighton. On exploration, no tests there. By lunchtime, this mum was told the nearest place was Telford or Inverness. A slot became available in Lee Valley in the afternoon, one slot, but unfortunately that was being offered across the country, including to people in Manchester, and it was impossible to book. Nine o'clock last night, she was told the nearest centre was Swansea. This is frankly ridiculous. Who does the Prime Minister think is responsible for this? Uh, well, Mr Speaker, clearly I take responsibility, as I have done throughout, for the entire handling of the coronavirus crisis. But I would just say to those who attack NHS Test and Trace and uh, those who deprecate the efforts of uh, the people who are doing their level best to, keeping our, to keep us safe, Mr Speaker, that it is precisely because of the success of Test and Trace that a capacity uh, has gone up to, uh, from 2,000 a month in March to 320,000 uh, a day, and uh, we know, thanks to NHS Test and Trace, in granular detail, in a way that we didn't uh, earlier this year, Mr Speaker, about what is happening with this pandemic. We know uh, the groups that are suffering, the extent of the infection rates, and we've been able, thanks to NHS Test and Trace, to do the local lockdowns that have been working. We also know that, alas, some people have not been following the guidance in the way that they should, and therefore we are seeing a rise in 
infections. And that's why today we are taking decisive steps, Mr Speaker, to, in, to intensify our social distancing measures, the rule of six that will be familiar to the country, in order that we can keep our economy going, that we can keep our schools open and keep this virus under control. And I hope that he will support those measures and indeed, Mr Speaker, support NHS test and trace. Yes, Tom. Mr Speaker, I'll hear the measures later on, but um, we will, in principle, support them, as I've supported all the measures the Prime Minister has introduced, as he well knows it's the right thing to do, and I've asked people to follow government advice on every opportunity. Mr Speaker, nobody's attacking here. The Prime Minister needs to know how anxious hundreds of families are in the last few weeks, they've been sent all over the country or told there are no tests. It can't be brushed off. On the 21st of this year, the Health Secretary said anybody who needs a test can get a test. It's the most important thing that you can do to, spread the, to stop the spread of this virus. This is a very serious issue. And the government line on this seems to be changing all the time. Yesterday, the Director of NHS Test and Trace said, can I offer my apologies to anyone who can't get a test? It's a laboratory processing problem. This morning, the Health Secretary changed tack and appeared to blame the public. I note that he made a statement yesterday and faced questions and didn't say anything about the excuse that he puts forward this morning that emerged overnight. So who's right? The Director of Test and Trace, this is a laboratory problem, or the Health Secretary, it's the public's fault? Mr Speaker, I, I of course sympathise with all those who are facing difficulties getting uh, tests as fast as they want, but uh, demand is at an unprecedented high, particularly because demand for uh, asymptomatic patients. But he should know that this country has done more tests, 17.6 million, than any other country in Europe. That is thanks, that is thanks to the, and he likes these international comparisons, Mr Speaker, that is thanks to the efforts of NHS test and trace. Uh, they are, in my view, doing an absolutely heroic job in spite of the difficulties that they face. They've massively raised uh, their output and uh, testing, and they will be up to testing 500,000 uh, tests a day by the end of October. This is an organisation that is working heroically to contain the spread of this disease, and it requires the public to trust this organisation and to participate, Mr Speaker. Yesterday, the Right Honourable Gentleman said it was on the verge of collapse. I think those were ill-chosen words. I think, he I think he now regrets uh, those words. I think he should reflect and he should take them back. Starmer. Mr Speaker, hundreds of families are trying to get a test in the last week and they can't get one. I do acknowledge the number of tests overall, but this is basic stuff. People who've got COVID symptoms are very anxious about themselves, their children, their families, and what to do. It means they can't go to work, they can't send their children to school. It matters. And if they can't get tests, the Prime Minister needs to take responsibility. And not just about the future or something else, but address this problem. And I want to take it further because it's not just that people are being told to go hundreds of miles. Somebody contacted me yesterday and said this, my wife has a temperature and they said we needed to isolate and get a test done. I've been trying to book a test. This is yesterday, Prime Minister. And the site says no capacity. Then I tried for a home test kit, and they're telling me that there are no kits available at present. This is the state today, yesterday. Yesterday there were no tests available in London, the same the day before. Prime Minister, what is happening? Well, uh, Mr Speaker, I note that he won't take back his uh, criticism and his attack 
uh, on NHS tests and trace. I know that he, I know, I, and I, I regret that. He, I gave him the opportunity, Mr. Speaker, to withdraw uh, his verdict that it was on the verge of collapse. It is not. Uh, they're, doing a, they're doing a heroic job. Uh, they're testing hundreds of thousands of people. And yes, Mr. Speaker, we will do more. And the world we want to move to as fast as possible is a world in which we can take, everybody can take enabling tests at the beginning of the day, an antigen test to identify whether or not we have the virus or not, uh, with it, uh, like a pregnancy test, within 15 minutes or so, so that we know uh, whether we're able to live our lives as normally as possible. That's the vision that the Health Secretary and others have been sketching out over the last a few days. That's where we intend to get to. In the meantime, NHS Test and Trace is doing a heroic job, and today, today I can tell him that most people get an in-person test result within 24 hours, and the median journey is actually under 10 miles if you have to take a journey to get one. Yeah. Mr Speaker, we all want Test, Trace and Isolate to succeed, and I've offered my support before, but the Prime Minister is ignoring a problem. If people are being told to go hundreds of miles, something is wrong. It's got a lot worse in the last week or two. Everybody in this House knows it because they've all had constituents telling them it. And the Prime Minister talks about capacity. The latest government figures were updated last night. They show that, on average, 75,000 tests are not being used every day. If there's 75,000 that are not being used, why yesterday were people being told to go hundreds of miles for a test? Why yesterday were people being told there's no capacity? Mr Speaker, the, the issue at the moment is that there has been a massive increase in the number of people who need or want tests, and particularly uh, people who don't have symptoms. And we need, and I hope he agrees, we need to prioritise uh, people such as NHS frontline staff, our care workers, who urgently need those tests. And as we massively increase the number of tests, it is those, it is those groups who are getting priority. And uh, I, I can just tell him that actually he's, he's wrong uh, in what he says about the, the failure of NHS uh, test and trace. Uh, uh, let, me tell, let, me, let me tell him that uh, of those contacts that supply details, 80% are reached and 320,000 people have been persuaded to self-isolate and to stop the spread of the disease. That is the British people ignoring his attempt to undermine confidence in test and trace, ignoring his attempt to undermine confidence, and working together, working together to get this disease defeated. Pierre Starmer. Mr Speaker, I'm listening carefully to what the Prime Minister says. What's undermining confidence is families being told to go hundreds of miles and they can't get a test. That's undermining confidence. I just want it fixed. We don't need to have an argument. What's the problem? Accept there's a problem. Tell us what the solution is and we'll all muck in and try to make it better and tell our constituents. Is the prime, I've been listening. Is he saying there are too many people coming forward for tests? It's a capacity problem or not? People are trying to do the right thing. They want to go back to work. We want children back in schools. The Prime Minister is encouraging that. Quite right, too. We understand that. We support that. The government side of the bargain was to deliver an effective test, trace and isolate scheme. But two weeks into September, there's a glaring hole. Can the Prime Minister tell us, when did he first know about this particular problem of having to go hundreds of miles or that tests were not going to be available? It's the last week it's arisen. When did he first know that that was a problem? Yeah. 
Mr. Speaker, it's obviously a function of the growing demand and the growing public confidence in NHS test and trace uh, that uh, we have to supply more and more tests, and that's what we've been doing. I've, I think, Mr. Speaker, I don't know whether he's been listening. I've been trying to give the House the figures. Uh, actually, thanks to the heroic efforts of NHS Test and Trace, we've gone up from 2,000 tests a day in March to 320,000 uh, a day uh, today. And uh, it is thanks to the efforts of, uh, of those thousands of people who are listening keenly to his words for some support or some encouragement or some belief in what they're trying uh, to do. It is, it is thanks to them that people, uh, on average, uh, have to travel less than 10 miles, and it is thanks to them that 80% of the contacts uh, that they identify, or coronavirus patient identifies, are reached and told to self-isolate. That's what we're trying to do, Mr Speaker. It's hard work. It's hard work. It's a big job. And they're doing a fantastic job. And I really think what they would like to hear is some praise and encouragement and support from the Right Honourable Gentleman. Mr Speaker, why can't we just hear from the Prime Minister an honest answer? If he, stood, if, he, if, he, if he stood at dispatch box and said, I know something's gone wrong in the last couple of weeks, we've been getting hundreds of examples of people being sent all over the place or being told there's no test, I've looked into it, I've worked out what the problem is, here's my plan, people might be reassured. But as ever, he pretends the problem isn't there. The infection rate is rising. This is the very point we need a functioning testing regime. But far from the world-beating system we were promised, the government, the government can't even get the basics right. The government is lurching from crisis to crisis. It still lacks even basic incompetence. This is what's holding... It lacks competence. Yes, Prime Minister, it lacks competence. This is what's holding Britain back. So my final question is this. When is this problem with test, trace and isolate going to be fixed? Uh, Mr Speaker, I, th I think he was on the money when he said that this government lacked incompetence. If I can just, just uh, say to him that we are working flat out to, addre to address uh, all the issues confronting us uh, today, uh, including it trying to get the infection rate down. And we are getting on, Mr Speaker, with taking the tough decisions, making the tough calls that will take this country. For when it came to uh, saying schools were safe, he was silent because he didn't want to offend his union bosses. And when left-wing anarchists, Mr Speaker, tried to destroy the freedom uh, of the press, he was silent because for some reason he didn't want to offend trusty left-wing anarchists. And uh, when it comes to, uh, when it comes, by the way, to sticking up for our UK internal market, Mr Speaker, and uh, for delivering on the will of the British people, one of the most important issues facing us today. He is totally silent on this bill that obsesses uh, the rest of his backbenchers. He's totally silent. Great Ox, once again, has stood on his tongue. He has nothing at all to say about that subject today because he doesn't want to offend the huge number of his backbenchers who want to overturn the verdict of the people and take us back into the EU, which is, of course, what he wants to do himself. This government gets on and takes the tough decisions on behalf of the British people, delivering thousands of jobs through our kickstart scheme, a record-breaking investment in affordable housing, £12 billion affordable housing programme, and getting on with all our work working with the British people and working with the Honourable Right Honourable Gentleman, if he would only do so, to get coronavirus defeated and to take our country forward. We take the tough calls. All he does is sit on the sidelines and carp, Mr Speaker.
Uh, thank you, Mr. Speaker. The, uh, the work of the Armed Forces, and especially 103 Battalion of the Royal Electrical and Mechanical Engineers in Northampton, uh, in logistical support of the NHS, councils and volunteers during the lockdown, was truly inspirational. Will my right honourable friend join with me in thanking them and in recognising the importance to the town of the Clare Street Barracks now and into the future? Uh, of course, I thank my honourable friend, and I indeed recognise the importance of the, uh, the Clare Street Barracks, and, and indeed I salute the work of the entire armed services in what they've done across the whole of our United Kingdom to help us fight coronavirus. We come to the leader of the SNP, Ian Blackford. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Shortly, this government will publish its internal market proposals. I've seen them. It is nothing short of an attack on Scotland's Parliament and an affront to the people of Scotland. As we've already heard, this legislation breaks international law, but it also breaks domestic law. The Prime Minister and his friends, a parcel of rogues, are creating a rogue state, one where the rule of law does not apply. Why does the Prime Minister think that he and his friends are above the law. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, on the contrary, Mr. Speaker, this uh, UK Internal Market Bill is about uh, protecting jobs, protecting growth, uh, ensuring the fluidity and safety of our uh, UK internal market and prosperity throughout the United Kingdom. And it should be welcomed, I believe, uh, in Scotland, in Northern Ireland, Wales, and throughout the whole country. In Blackford. Well, of course, we saw the Prime Minister breaking the law last year of the prorogation of Parliament. We've seen the behaviour of Dominic Cummings, and we know that this government's prepared to break its international obligations. And what the Prime Minister said is complete rubbish, and the Prime Minister knows it. His own white paper was clear that state aid is going to be grabbed back from Scotland and handed to Westminster. Mr Speaker, if the Prime Minister won't listen to the Scottish Government, will he listen to the NFU Scotland President, who warned that the proposals limit the devolved administrations. The Commons Constitutional Affairs Committee that warned it will create new reservations in areas of devolved competence. And the General Teaching Council for Scotland that warned that it undermines devolved education functions. That, Mr Speaker, is the reality. Mr Prime Minister, Scotland is speaking out, and I state that the Scottish Parliament will reject this attack on devolution. So the question is, Will the Prime Minister break domestic law, disregard the settled will of the Scottish people, ignore the concerns of Scotland's communities and press ahead with this bill? The time for Scotland's place as an independent, international, law-abiding nation is almost here. Our time has come. Uh, well, uh, the, the answer, Mr Speaker, is that, uh, yes, indeed, we will press on with this bill because I believe that his attacks on, uh, on it are totally illogical. Uh, it actually represents a very substantial uh, transfer of, of, of powers, of sovereignty uh, to, uh, to Scotland, uh, to Wales. Uh, to North. It's a, it, is a, it is a massive devolutionary act. What it also does is, uh, and I, know, I, I, think, I believe this is common ground uh, across the dispatch box, uh, it also ensures it also, ensure, it also ensures the integrity of the UK 
internal market, and uh, uh, he, he speaks of a transfer of powers to, uh, to, the, to the UK government. On the contrary, what he would do, Mr Speaker, is transfer powers uh, not just over competition and state aids back to Brussels, but of course over fisheries too. And that is the policy of the Scottish Nationalist Party, and it would be a disaster for our country. Mr Prime Minister. I'm sure that the leader of the SNP would like to withdraw that last comment of being a liar. No honourable member will do that. Would you please withdraw? Mr Speaker, I must say... Sorry, I don't need any of It's on the face of the bill that the government of the UK is going to trample over devolution. That is not a lie. Mr Blackford, you're a great member of this House. You do the right things by this House, and I've accepted that you've withdrawn it in Libya. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Before being elected to represent Blythe Valley last year, I worked in mental health. Since October last year, there have been 120 suicides across the Northumbria Police Force area alone. There have been 24 deaths in Blythe in that time. I'm sure that my right honourable friend, the Prime Minister, will agree with me that one death is one death too many. So would he support me and support National Suicide Prevention Day tomorrow and acknowledge the fantastic work that's been carried out by the mental health charity Mind, as well as Engage and DVO at Unit 20 in Blythe. Thank you. Uh, Mr Speaker, every, every suicide is, a, is an absolute tragedy, and, and my honourable friend uh, is absolutely right to focus on that issue in the, in the way that he does. And I'm proud that this government is rolling out record investments into suicide prevention. But I would also like to, to pay tribute to the, to the charitable sector, to Mind Engage and, and to Davy Orr uh, for the fantastic work uh, that they do to uh, make a difference at that crucial moment and to prevent suicide. Mr Speaker, they herd them onto trains, they shave their heads they abort their babies. A genocide of the Uyghur people by the Chinese government is taking place before our eyes. It is easy to criticise the next world superpower, harder to take action. What action is the Prime Minister going to take to stop the ethnic cleansing of the Uyghur people in Xinjiang? And when will he lead organisation of an international tribunal? Because this time, no country can say that they didn't know. Well, uh, Mr Speaker, she is uh, entirely right to draw attention to the plight of the Uyghurs, as both I and the, uh, and the Foreign Secretary have done ourselves, and we raise these concerns directly with the, uh, the Chinese authorities and uh, will continue to do so in the, in the G20, in, in the UN, and in uh, every other context. Thank you, Mr Speaker. On Monday night, BBC Panorama revealed what parents in Carshalton and Wallington have been telling me for months, that Lib Dem-run um, Sutton Council is failing our most vulnerable children. Given the shocking scenes that we saw, does the Prime Minister agree with me that the Council should hang its head in shame, meet with these parents, sack their failing arms-length company, and these Lib Dem councillors that have provided over this failure should resign? Well, um, Mr Speaker, I thank my honourable friend. I understand that the uh, Council concerned has acknowledged uh, the, uh, the failures and the improvements that are needed. And we are, uh, for our part, we are reviewing the, uh, the oversight of special educational uh, needs schools and uh, we will be commissioning a new round of inspections, both by Ofsted and, and the CQC. And I'm happy to write further uh, to my honourable friend about that issue. David Linder. 
Mr. Yeah. Speaker. The Prime Minister is aware of the tragic case of Mercy de Guma, who three weeks ago was found dead in her Glasgow flat with her starving one-year-old son, Adriel, lying next to her. Thankfully, little Adriel has made a recovery and was running around my constituency office on Friday when his father, Eric, came to meet me. But Adriel has been through more than any one-year-old should ever have to go through, and his future hangs in limbo while the Home Office prolongs his father's asylum application. So, will the Prime Minister agree to organise a meeting between myself and the Home Secretary to look at Eric's case and make sure that this family can go forward with certainty after such a difficult time? I, I thank the Honourable Gentleman. I can tell him that I, I, I know that the whole House will join with me uh, in sending our deepest condolences to the family and friends of Mercy Baguma. Uh, and uh, we take very seriously the, uh, the well-being of uh, all those in the asylum system. And uh, I can assure him that uh, the relevant Minister will be taking up that particular, particular uh, case uh, with him. We're heading up to Amersham with Dame Cheryl Gillan. Dame Cheryl. Thank you, Mr Speaker. The Prime Minister knows very well I have an 11-year track record of opposing HS2, not least because of the environmental damage it is causing, and have expressed my support for peaceful environmental campaigns against this costly project. Regrettably, the actions of Extinction Rebellion, who've glued themselves to trains and now tried to interfere with the freedom of the press, have tarnished the reputation of peaceful environmental protesters. Will my right honourable friend tell me what options he's considering to ensure, rather than offering encouragement to lawbreakers, this unacceptable behaviour and attacks on our democratic freedoms can be prevented from happening again, and the integrity of peaceful campaigners is not impugned? Well, Mr Speaker, I draw a sharp distinction and contrast between uh, the civilised approach of my uh, right honourable friend uh, to environmental protest and uh, that taken by uh, those who uh, tried in vain to frustrate the freedom of the press. And uh, again, I, I must say I was struck by the, the silence of the right honourable gentleman opposite when he had a, an opportunity to, uh, to, to, con to condemn. To, to answer uh, her point directly, I do think it is important now, given the, the, the weight of the economic interests that were under threat and the threat to the freedom of the press, that we look at what we can do uh, under uh, public order and indeed under the law on nuisance. And that is what uh, we will do. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Yesterday, the Health Secretary said, and I quote, we have the largest testing system imaginable. Yet in my constituency of Jarrow, which is one of the government's areas of concern, people are struggling to get a COVID test. This isn't criticism or an attack of our NHS, but it's months since the Prime Minister promised us all a world-leading test, track and trace system. So I ask him, where is it? Yeah. And I, again, Mr Speaker, I have every sympathy with those who are now uh, wanting to get tests, and uh, the demand is very, very acute, uh, partly because, uh, Mr Speaker, we have so many people who don't have symptoms who, who want uh, a test, and, and our view is the priority should be uh, for those who do have symptoms and for the groups uh, that I mentioned earlier. We will do everything we can to address the issues in, uh, in Jarrow uh, and across the, across the country, but I would just remind her that uh, NHS Test and Trace has so far conducted 17.6 million tests, which is more uh, than any other European country. So she should, uh, she should take at least some pride in that. Thank you, Mr Speaker. 
Uh, whilst I am pleased that localised data has allowed uh, local restrictions to be lifted in parts of my constituency in Murfield, Kirkburton and Denbydale, would the Prime Minister reassure the people of Dewsbury that if infection rates continue to reduce, Dewsbury will be lifted out of local restrictions sooner rather than later? Uh, well, well, thank uh, Marla, indeed, and I thank the people of Dewsbury for their, their fortitude in, uh, in doing what they've done, uh, the local action that they're taking to defeat the, the virus, and uh, of course, as soon as we, uh, we see results in uh, the case of a local uh, lockdown, we do take that area out of lockdown. I've no doubt the same uh, will happen in Dewsbury and elsewhere. Thank you, Mr Speaker. There have been reports in the last few days that the Chancellor may scrap the planned increase in the national living wage on the grounds that it may be considered unaffordable. Can the Prime Minister rule this out once and for all, recognise that working people should not be made to pay for this crisis, and confirm that the national living wage will rise as planned to £9.21 an hour in April? Mr Speaker, it was this Government that introduced uh, the living wage, and I'm proud I'm proud that we have so far delivered uh, a record increase in the living wage and supported families uh, throughout the crisis, uh, not just with the living wage, uh, but of course with a huge £160 billion package of support. This is a government that puts its arms around the people of the country and helps them through tough times. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Burnley College was recently announced as the highest achieving college in the country, recognising its dedicated students, quality teaching staff and fantastic facilities, which includes a Centre for Advanced Engineering. And as a result, the College has experienced strong year-on-year -year growth in admissions. But in order to ensure that our young people continue to have the skills they need for the future, it's vital our FE colleges are invested in and keep up to date. And that's why I've given my wholehearted support to Burnley College with its latest expansion plans, which includes greater teaching on drone technology, robotics and clean engines. So will the Prime Minister join with me in giving Burnley College that backing from government and will he join with me in visiting the college in the future? Right. Well, I, I, I think my honourable friend is absolutely right to champion Burnley College and uh, the, the cutting-edge education in the, the technologies of the future uh, that this government uh, supports. And I welcome uh, all the plans that Burnley College has for capital investment, Mr Speaker, to develop their campus. Kim Johnson. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Liverpool in 1869 was the first council to build council housing to uh, replace overcrowded slums. Progress over the years has often been obstructed by this Tory government, most recently with the refusal to extend our most successful landlord licensing scheme and the introduction of permissive development rights, which bypass local control and are likely to control, um, create slums of the future. Will the Prime Minister give a straight answer and commit to withdraw these plans and return control back to local communities and prevent a return to the 1860s. Thank you. Uh, well, th th this government has already built far more council homes, uh, as far as I can remember, than Labour did in 13 years uh, when they were last in, uh, in office, and we will go on. Uh, you've, you've just heard, Mr Speaker, about the huge £12 billion investment in affordable uh, homes that we're making uh, this week, and uh, we will deliver beautiful new homes across the country, building on brownfield sites in a way that is affordable and helps young people uh, onto the housing ladder in uh, the way that they need, uh, uh, either through, uh, through, through affordable rent or through part-by, uh, part-rent schemes, which are immensely attractive. And that's the way forward for our country. Yeah. James Wilde. 
Thank you, Mr Speaker. Kings Lynn will benefit from the Government's levelling up agenda with £25 million through the Towns Fund. Would my right honourable friend encourage ministers to look favourably at proposals for a school of nursing at the College of West Anglia to help kick-start um, local training opportunities and job opportunities for the people of West Norfolk? I, I thank my honourable friend. He's uh, a, an, an excellent champion for his area, and uh, if I can, he can just can contain his impatience uh, a little bit, uh, he may hear something uh, to his advantage and to the advantage of his uh, constituency from uh, his right honourable friend and mine, the Community Secretary. Thank you, Mr Speaker. £150 million spent on faulty masks, £120 million spent on contracts awarded to a Tory councillor, and a staggering billion pounds worth of contracts awarded without proper due diligence. Where has the money gone, Prime Minister? Well, uh, Mr Speaker, I, all I can uh, tell her is that uh, there's been a massive investment in uh, PPE uh, throughout this pandemic and uh, billions of items have been supplied. If she has a, a particular anxiety about uh, some particular contract, then I'm more than happy to address that if she will uh, take the trouble to write to me. Thank you. Mr Speaker, from growing our food and producing renewable energy to managing our environment and setting high animal welfare standards, British farmers lead the world in so many ways. On Back British Farming Day, will my rightable friend join me in thanking the farmers in Havant and across the country for the contribution they make to our country and our national security and our prosperity? Well, thank you, Mr Speaker. Somebody who grew up on a, a farm many years ago, I'm uh, thrilled to uh, support a British Farming Day or Back British Farming Day, and it's, it's thanks to them that we have fantastic food on our plates every day, but also that we have an amazing opportunity to increase our agricultural exports around the world. And that's why I'm so much looking forward to that period which comes at the end of this year when we will be able to take advantage of the freedoms that Brexit uh, brings. And uh, I hope very much that uh, members opposite will join us, uh, join the whole house in pushing through this UK, this valuable UK internal market bill, uh, which will help uh, to support uh, UK farming across the whole country and build a stronger agricultural industry for our whole country. Final question, Nalish to Michael. Thank you, Mr Speaker. The Prime Minister may be aware that there are some Scottish nationalists who want Scotland to follow the example of Catalonia and to have a wildcat independence referendum. Now, I oppose that because it would be illegal. If the Prime Minister thinks it's acceptable for his government to ignore international law, on what basis would he oppose it? Let me th thank you, Mr. Speaker, and, and uh, I have a great respect for the uh, right honourable gentleman. And let me, let, me, let me just say this, because I, the Leader of the Opposition, uh, in my view, neglected to raise this uh, important subject. And my job is to uphold the uh, integrity of the UK, but also also to protect the Northern Irish peace process and the Good Friday Agreement. And, and to do that, we need a, a, a legal safety net to uh, protect our country against extreme or irrational interpretations of the protocol, which could lead to a border down uh, the Irish Sea in a way that I believe, and I think members around the House believe, would be prejudicial to the interests of the Good Friday Agreement and prejudicial to the interests of peace in our country. And that has to be our priority. Yeah.